Welcome back to the Sports Medicine Orthopod. It's Anthony Yu. I'm here with Drew Burleson. Drew, did you get COVID vaccine number two yet? I'm getting COVID vaccine number two tomorrow. So, I mean, I've, uh, I've got your voodoo stacked up on the shelf. I've got the ibuprofen ready to go, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Are you nervous? Nah, I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I contested the people who are having these side effects are actually just, you know, kind of a little bit of sissies like yourself. So, I mean, I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> all right. Well, we are very excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Nithin Natwa from Henry Ford. He is a sports medicine specialist, uh, much like we are. Nithin, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. And actually, I, I just got my second dose of the vaccine today. So look at him. He's, he's not a symptom. He looks like he's like just fantastic and not having any problems at all. I mean, yeah, feeling good. You're looking young and spry and full of energy. You're, you're old. That could be a two. You used to be too old for the vaccine. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm I'm Asian, so you have no idea how old I am. <laughs> how did you react after your first vaccine, Nathan? Uh, I did fine, actually. I maybe felt a little bit of fatigue, but nothing too crazy. I heard a lot of people feel kind of bad after the second dose, but me and my wife, we both got our second doses, and we're feeling we're feeling pretty good. So, if anyone's worried about that part, you don't you don't necessarily have to feel crappy afterwards. <laughs> So uh, you, you practice at Henry Ford in Michigan, and you're originally from Michigan? Yeah, born and raised in Michigan. Uh, did most of my most of my education there, but I ventured out a little bit, but I'm back in Michigan now. Are you an all-Detroit sports fan? Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of painful because they're all doing very terrible, <laughs> and some of them have just been historically bad. But I'm, I'm more of a college fan, to be honest, but I do cheer for Detroit sports, but I can't be too sad when they lose Otherwise, I would just literally be depressed. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you did your sports medicine fellowship at Michigan State, which I was reading that that was the original uh, sports medicine fellowship for for the the non surgical pathway to sports medicine. That is that correct? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just a little bit of background about me: I'm family medicine trained, and then I did uh, my sports medicine fellowship, like you said, at Michigan State, which was also my alma mater. So it was pretty cool to go from those nosebleed seats in the stadium down to the sidelines when I was doing fellowship. So very cool. Drew, you know, we were talking about this before the show sports medicine is a team sport uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of personnel involved. Like who who's on our roster. It's not just us, the orthopedic surgeons who who else we work with. I mean, yeah, there's a a ton of people that we deal with on a day-to-day basis and who who are really on the front, the frontline workers for sports medicine coverage. I mean, we have athletic trainers who are there primarily all the time. I mean, at every sporting event, you know, before, after the games, uh, taping, rehabbing, doing all kinds of therapy and modality, uh, modalities, we have physical therapists who work with us as well, too. Um, There's, and then in regards to like, you know, professional sports coverage and college coverage and things like that, you have a lot of other people. So you have Again, non-operative sport medicine doctors who are, you know, well-versed in things like concussion and also medical management of certain injuries. Sometimes you have independent neurologists. We have physical medicine rehabilitation doctors, neurosurgeons who are there. I mean, it's just there's a, an entire, you know, plethora of people who, who go together to take care of uh, sports and athletes. Yeah, right. And, you know, the piece of the pie that we end up seeing as the on the surgical side is actually a, a small piece compared to how many sports injuries are out there. There's a lot of them that are treated non-surgically and, and none more notorious than the concussion, which we're going to talk about today. And that's where somebody like Dr. Notwell really comes in with his expertise. Cause that's not something that drew and I are very knowledgeable about 
we, we really wouldn't know where to even start in terms of uh, symptom management, progression through these protocols, and getting the athlete back to play. Yeah, I mean, I think if you and I sit here and try to talk about concussion, it would be like Ron Burgundy trying to talk about diversity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, fellas, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes – doesn't get much bigger than that in terms of NFL stars. Uh, Nathan, why don't we start with Lamar Jackson? So obviously we've all seen the play. What did you see? So basically with Lamar, it seemed like he had an impact, direct impact with the back of his head to the chair. And uh, although he's wearing a helmet, a lot of people, you know, they wonder if, if helmets are able to prevent concussions. And unfortunately there's not really any strong evidence that shows that concussions have are reduced at all by wearing a helmet. The helmet is more so to to uh, really prevent those real severe kind of skull fractures and stuff like that. But he impacted the back of his head to the turf, uh, immediately showed symptoms after that. They took him back to the locker room, and he was, I think, pretty shortly ruled out due to a concussion after that. Yeah, so I think we'll probably spend more time on Mahomes because, as we all know, Lamar Jackson's season's over. Good news for him is he's got plenty of time to recover before next season. Do you have any concerns going forward? Yeah, so with Lamar Jackson, it's actually really concerning, and I'm really happy that that they're not they don't have a game to rush back to. I'm sure Ravens fans are not happy about that, but but in terms of his playing style, he's he's a very he's a strong runner. A lot, a huge portion of his game is due to rushing, and he takes a lot of risky plays. Which you know, when it works out, it looks amazing, but. If he's going to suffer a concussion, that automatically increases his risk for having another concussion. The thing that we know about concussions is we don't know how many is too many, but we do know that each one you have progressively increases your risk of suffering another one. And at the end of all that, the more concussions you have, you know, that increases your risk for a lot of factors down the road later on in life. So I think that Lamar Jackson is really going to have to, they're going to have to modify the way his playing style or you know, just take on that risk of, uh, of further concussions. What's actually happening when this term concussion occurs? What is happening to the brain? That's uh, that's actually pretty important because it brings us to the point that you don't actually need to suffer an impact to have a concussion. Uh, concussion can happen just from abrupt changes in acceleration, either via just a straightforward linear acceleration, deceleration, or rotational, just kind of like your head gets whipped around really sharply. And what that causes is uh, in the neuron pathway, it causes basically these receptors to get overloaded and an influx of a lot of these electrolytes that come in, which they haven't really parsed it out definitively, but that overload of receptors causes symptoms in a person. And those symptoms are hard to predict the resolution period. So it can take anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks to when it turns into post-concussive syndrome, a couple of months to years. What do those symptoms look like? Like, what are some common ones? So, the most common symptom is a headache, and actually, going along with that, the most concerning uh, the most concerning prognosis for like a prolonged recovery is basically a non-resolving headache. So, typically, uh, with these concussions, yeah, your head's going to hurt because it just got you just got hit. But we would expect that headache to be more of a short-term thing and to largely resolve over the next. 30 minutes to a couple hours. If we're still seeing a persistent, strong headache, that's a really strong indicator that we're going to be on a slightly delayed recovery course. Uh, other than that, some red flag symptoms we look for on the field right away is something that we'll talk about with the next player, Patrick Mahomes, is called a fencing response, 
which is where the arm kind of splays out in a direction that's not consistent with gravity. So it kind of goes against gravity and it's a very stiff, abrupt response from the arm. So those are some things we look at. And then obviously there's nausea, vision, vision difficulties, sensitivity to brightness. And then the ones that people don't think of too much are the mood conditions. So being increasingly, increasingly irritable, uh, short tempered, maybe even depressed. Those are things to watch out for because those can easily be affected in concussions as well. Yeah. I think the mood ones is a very interesting one because you'll, I've, you'll see videos occasionally of like a, professional athlete who has a serious injury and all of a sudden they're, you know, hysterically crying on the sidelines. And people are always a little bit confused about what's going on and and what the response is like. But I mean, and I don't think that people necessarily are drawn to the fact that those could be concussive like symptoms. Yeah. And it's scary when you see these like 240 pound men just break down crying all of a sudden, because it's just, it's not what people expect. And I think it scares a lot of people to see that. Drew, you were telling us that you sustained a concussion when you played high school football. Right. Yeah. So um, I think the concussion protocols have changed a little bit since I had a concussion, but I remember it was my freshman year. So we had our games on Thursday nights and I had a, uh, I sustained a concussion that evening. Didn't really, didn't play the rest of the game. Um, kind of watched the rest of the game. And then we had always had Friday off and then Saturday and Sunday. I came back to practice on Monday and they gave me this foam shell that I put on top of my helmet. And then I went back to playing just like there, nothing had happened. <laughs> um, I wasn't the only one. I mean, like there was a couple other guys on the team who ended up having these foam shells over top of their helmet throughout the course of the season as well. So, I mean, for better or for worse, I mean, I, I, I fortunately, I, you know, I didn't, I don't think I had any long-term effects from it, but, <laughs> but again, I mean, things have changed significantly in regards to how we treat these concussions. Yeah. The protocol has definitely evolved a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is your orthopedic surgeon, Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say for your loved ones out there, uh, whenever you're in a bad mood, which seems to be often, this is the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> no, Drew is a jolly, gentle giant. So, so let's let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. Happened in a pivotal part of the game, and I think everybody watching that game thought the Browns were going to take it home in the fourth quarter. But yeah. uh, gutsy play from Chan Hetty, Hetty really uh, really pull it out yeah. when he threw that pick in the end zone. I think everybody was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but uh, yeah. Chiefs pulled it out. So. Injuries different than Lamar Jackson's. Describe to us what, what happened there. Yeah, so like we were talking about before, there was possibly an impact there. I know a lot of people thought that there wasn't an impact, but based on the camera angles, it seemed like he suffered kind of a glancing blow to the front of his helmet when he hit the turf. But say for, say for education's sake that he didn't suffer any kind of impact, he still did have an abrupt kind of whip to his head, and his head was also jerked up sharply by the tackle. Uh, so like I was talking about before, that abrupt linear or rotational acceleration could have easily been a cause of the of a concussion. And then that fencing response as well, too. We saw his arm kind of splay out in a, in a direction that was very directed and not at all with gravity. So that was one of the signs that I thought early on this was definitely a concussion. Later on, some people started saying that there was some, some kind of nerve injury with it as well, too. And, you know, it's I'm not saying that that didn't happen. They, these two things could have definitely happened together. And something that could have happened when his neck was being kind of pulled abruptly is uh, there's there's a brachial plexus, which is a big nerve complex that kind of provides sensation and motor function to your arm on one side. And that can, that can be compressed in something called thoracic outlet syndrome, which easily could have happened when Mahomes was kind of being a little bit choke-holded. Uh, some people thought it might be a carotid uh, choke symptoms, but there was also reports that he was having difficulty balancing about 13 to 15 minutes later in the locker room. And those kind of symptoms from a carotid chokehold should have definitely resolved by that period. 
So that's why I don't think it was really that. Yeah, and then I think what was striking to everybody was the wobbliness that occurred in the yeah. first few steps afterwards. And I think it was Tony Romo who called that one, right? And uh, that yeah. name, and you you could just hear it in his voice, like this is not good. Yeah, it's also the optics too. It's just like even even if he does look completely fine. If you send a player like that back out there based on what was seen on camera and something something happens to him completely unrelated, they're going to eviscerate the team and the medical staff. It doesn't matter if you if it's not even concussion related. They're going to be like, you sent this guy back out there after you look like that. So yeah. a little bit of that kind of stuff probably comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. And so next step is like a pop-up restaurant, this sideline medical tent just appears <laughs> and he, he immediately goes there. What, what's going on in that tent? So what they're doing is they're doing something called a sideline concussion assessment tool or SCAT, and it's something that they keep on modifying. Uh, I think they're on version five now, and it's a really quick way to gauge the symptoms that are reported by the player. But then we all know that players always want to play, especially at the higher levels. These these players, they don't get there by kind of just backing out easily. So you can just pretty much rely on the fact that they're going to be lying about their symptoms <laughs> and uh, nothing's going wrong with them. So that's why they have these tests on there as well, too, that test their uh, their vision and that test their reflexes and are geared to aggravate the symptoms as well, too, basically by rotating their, their eyes all over the place. And you can see the nonverbal cues from them where they're where they're kind of wincing their eyes or whether they're they're really feeling some kind of agitation from it. And that's really hard to mask. So so in the event that there's no aggravation, there's no kind of positives on that test, either nonverbal or verbal, those are the rare cases where you'll see a player get sent back out onto the field after it seemed like they might have had a concussion. Uh, if they're popping positive on any of those, then they typically take them back to the locker room. And that's almost a definite sign that they're going to be ruled out for at least the remainder of the game um, because then they need to start the concussion protocol. Yeah, that's an important point because both Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes sprinted back to the locker room. And I think to the layperson, you're like, hooray, he's running. It's totally fine. But but what you just said is it's almost fool's gold, right? That That's likely not going to happen. Yeah, if they're going to send them back out, they like to get them back out quick. They don't want it to look like they were, make, they were making a tough call and they decided to send them out into a more dangerous situation. So I think one of the misconceptions about the NFL too is that the, the, the physicians have, you know, the interest of the team probably over the interest of the player. <laughs> and that they may say, you know what, hey, this player is okay. He can go back and play. He doesn't really have a concussion. Is there anything that the NFL does to, to make it so that, that, that that's not the case? Yeah, so there's there's two major things in my opinion. So I first of all, as a disclaimer, I don't work for any professional teams right now. But my over, overriding hospital system, Henry Ford, is actually responsible for covering all of the major Detroit sports teams. And they're not affiliated directly with the team. The only affiliation they have is the contract that they provide care to. So I think that really kind of separates the the kind of the team needs over the player needs because the physicians, they don't have any responsibility to the Lions. They don't get paid by the Lions. They get paid by Henry Ford who has the contract with the team. So that takes away one aspect of it. But say, say you know, with, they work with them for a long period of time, so they could develop a certain bias. The NFL now provides a mandate that if the players entered into the concussion protocol, that an independent neurologist has to certify that they're cleared. So it can't just be one person who's kind of fudging the test results. It has to be two 
and two that don't really know each other. So, I mean, they're, they're really kind of taking out these possible venues where hopefully no kind of misdeeds would happen, but they're just trying to reduce the chance of it happening through that. Yeah. And with the player safety, ultimately yeah. best interest of the player at heart. Okay. So Mahomes and Jackson, they've, they've run back into the locker room. What, what happens at that point? So at that point, they, they basically give them a chance to rest and be in an area away from a lot of outside stimulus, stimulation and all that, which you imagine 20 to 50,000 fans outside screaming is a little bit distracting, can be aggravating. So they take them to a more controlled environment. They repeat the test as well, too. And then at that point in time, they make the determination whether they're going to either hold them out for the rest of the half, typically, or... And if they turn out to have, you know, recovered completely and they don't show any kind of further signs and it is before halftime, then sometimes you'll see them come back out for the second half and they won't they won't put them in the protocol. Like I said, that's a very uncommon situation, but there's no absolutes in football. So that's in the rare circumstances. They have that second line of evaluation where if they are really recovered more significantly than expected, they can possibly return them back out there. Um, but there is a lot of misconception about what it means when a player is put into the concussion protocol. And medically, when you're put into the concussion protocol, that is a diagnosis of a concussion that puts you in there. It's not a lot. Of, I see a lot of people saying that Mahomes is in the concussion protocol to definitively rule out that he had a concussion. And that's not the case. He had a concussion. Even if he clears the protocol tomorrow, he still had a concussion. You just happen to recover from it fast. Being in the concussion protocol indicates that there was a diagnosis of a concussion. When they're talking to the player and trying to assess their cognition, are they asking them like, like sort of like memory games, asking them like to recall the event, saying count backwards from 100 by seven, kind of like sobriety test type things? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they'll give them a five word recall where they ask them to recall these five words to them right away. And then they'll ask them about five minutes later and see if they still remember them. Uh, there's... They also just kind of gauge their, um, like I said, their visual, their visual ocular motor skills. Um, they, I believe they, one of the tests, they had them draw a clock. I don't think that they've removed that yet, but the clock one's really key because people will think they're drawing a normal clock, but they'll really put all the numbers on one side or, or they'll be very condensed. And they don't even realize it's happening. So that's another one of those subcon, those ways that we can evaluate the player and make sure that they are, even if they're saying they're pain-free and they're symptom-free, we can kind of check that on our own as well, too. All right. So let's run through what is the NFL's concussion protocol? Yeah. So it's a five-step protocol. And the difference between the NFL and other levels is that you don't need a day clearance between the steps, which is a huge difference between, say, definitely high school sports. And I believe at one point it was an NCAA requirement as well, too. Uh, last I was there, but that might have change as well but typically any level other than the nfl you need one day per step the nfl is uh, a little bit different and uh, you can um you can clear those you can clear multiple steps sometimes within a short period of time but the first step is tolerating daily activity without a significant aggravation of symptoms and i think that's a really key point because some people think you need to have no symptoms at all and you can't be doing anything that aggravates your symptoms to any degree and that's not true you just need to have your symptoms at a controlled level that's not impacting your daily activities. And anything that you're doing can't significantly aggravate your symptoms. So it can't be like a huge spike, but it's okay if you feel a little bit worse. Say that's fine on that first step. Then you move on to just increasing your heart rate. And typically that's done via cardio type activities. So like an exercise bike or something like that. 
once again, you get your heart rate elevated, say you feel a little bit worse, that's okay. But say you feel a sharp stabbing headache, you feel nauseous, you feel like you're about to peek your face off, you got to scale back and go back to the daily activities. So then you're tolerating the exercise bike, then you start going to sports-specific type activities. Uh, so if you're if you're a football player, then you know, you're going to go through kind of suicide runs, you're going to go through routes, things like that. Um, and then if you're tolerating that, the next step would be a, li- a live practice. And live practice would be, you know, full on, you're doing contact stuff and all of that. And then say you're tolerating all of that, that's when you come back technically in a lot of cases when you're not in the NFL for the official clearance from the physician that I tolerated the live practice, I'm okay to go back to a full on game. And the reason why the practice is necessary is because it's gameplay, but it's in a much more controlled atmosphere. What's the concern about returning a player too early from a concussion? So let's say that, you know, I mean, they haven't, con- they haven't cleared this concussion protocol. It's the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes wants to play. I mean, is, is there danger for him going back to plays too early? Yeah, there's a there's a huge there's a huge concern with that. And I typically actually explain this when I'm trying to explain it to patients in a in a more orthopedic way, where if you're talking about a bone that fractured and it's slowly healing and you have it, you have it healed a little bit. And it's you know, it's formed back into one piece, but it's very brittle in one section. And say you take another hit to that brittle section directly to that section. The bone just splinters way worse than it was before, before that initial fracture. And that's how I kind of explain the same thing with a concussion. If you're, if you sustain another concussion during recovery, it's damaging an already weakened structure and it can damage it far worse than the previous injury. There's some literature out there that's not well substantiated. I will say that, but the consequences are very severe with it, where they call it second impact syndrome. And that's something where they say that that cascade that I talked about with those electrolytes kind of flooding in and just overloading a lot of the receptors, that happens to a much higher degree, almost exponentially, and has been documented to cause death in certain cases. So once again, if we're talking evidence-based, the evidence for that is very weak, but you have to also balance the outcome of that, which is death. And you have to kind of take that into consideration. So that's kind of the worst case situation that is not strongly proven. But the stuff that is strongly proven is that if you suffer a concussion while recovering from it, it significantly increases your risk for a a long-term recovery pattern and post-concussive syndrome and things like that. I guess the one thing that's really good that has been evidence-based proven, it's a huge study that came out of University of Buffalo, and it's showing that you can have significantly reduced symptoms from your concussion and significantly shortened recovery if you have early incorporation of cardio cardio activities such as stationary cycling. And it was a RCT basically based on a broad population. So that's what I always try and do with my patients. As soon as they're able to tolerate it, I throw them on the exercise bike. It seems like there are some players who recover very quickly. They're, you know, again, like they really go through this protocol, they're back in a week. And there's other people like Sidney Crosby, who's out, the hockey player who's out months with the, yeah. like symptoms. It, is there a reason why some people have these prolonged uh, recovery periods? And is there a way that you can somewhat predict this? No, I guess, but but there are there are some factors for some people. I don't know about Crosby's history, but for certain conditions, there definitely is a high predisposition to concussion. So, like we talked about earlier about mood variations, if you have diagnosed uh, psychiatric conditions like ADHD, uh, depression, bipolar, those things put you at a higher risk for suffering concussion and for prolonged recovery. Uh, we also talked about before if you have a history of having previous concussions, that also puts you at a higher risk for concussions and for prolonged recovery. 
and your age as well too. It's been shown that people who are younger tend to be at higher risk for suffering concussion. That's likely based on kind of just their activity level. They're a lot more active, but also they're at risk for having longer uh, recovery patterns as well too. So those those conditions can really increase your risk of it. But we also have people that have none of those factors and they still have a long recovery pattern. So it's definitely an evolving field. So what we had talked about earlier about the long-term prognosis for Lamar Jackson being one of concern, from my understanding, this is now Mahomes' second concussion. He had his first one uh, at Texas Tech. Regardless of what happens, if he plays next week, the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl and he plays, uh, probably think twice about running read options for him from now on. I mean, he's got a billion-dollar arm getting him out there in the open field to take another hit. I'd be nervous about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, when you hear about one concussion, I, I'm usually not phased by it. When I hear about two concussions, unless it's within the same year on back-to-back years, I'm also not really phased by it. But once you get to three concussions over any period of time, I get I get pretty concerned about that just because, like we said earlier, it's just so much easier to get that fourth. And three is, there's no magic number. That's just... That's just kind of my own clinical gestalt get that starts raising the red flags for me. So I think they have to really be really be careful with Mahomes, especially I mean, he's are debatably just the best player in the NFL right now. You if the NFL cares about keeping fans, they want to protect their prized asset. Right. I mean a uh, patellar dislocation on a quarterback sneak and then a concussion on a read option. I mean, I think the <laughs> I don't see him running a whole lot in the future. Yeah. And those, I mean, the patella dislocation, that's not a, that's not like a common injury. I mean, it's a, it's a common injury, but it's not a common NFL injury. We don't see that happening on a regular basis every season. So, I mean, he's, they, they got to make some changes with his play style. So one of the first phases of the uh, concussion protocol is complete brain rest. Uh, I've especially worked with like high school athletes or even college athletes. I feel like even in the day of, cell phones, it's very difficult to convince anybody that to adhere to that phase of the rehab protocol. What do you say to your patients? I mean, is there, or how important is that? Or what do you recommend in regards to brain rest? That's a, that's actually a great point because that's a recent topic that's changed a lot and it's no longer total rest that's advised. It's relative rest. So it's, you're able to do literally anything that doesn't significantly aggravate your symptoms or put you at risk for a repeat concussion. So that includes screen time because screen time is huge these days. And it's, we've, we've realized that it's actually detrimental to the patient to take them away from these, these, ha- these habits that they consider their only get their own daily activity. It increases their mood and all that. And it depresses their moods to have them away from that. And it kind of worsens their symptoms in a lot of cases. So they've changed the official recommendation away from total rest to relative rest. And obviously if they're looking at a screen and they're, they're just like dying from that, then yeah, don't do that. But in, in most situations, it's okay for them to do that. We also modify them going back to school. We send them to school for like an hour if they're able to tolerate that. And um, we just kind of, it's a lot more variable now. Wow. That's super interesting. So I'm going to tell my wife to beat off my back when I'm justifying binge watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the season was great. Well, I mean, the season was okay. The first two were great, though. <laughs> I think that there's some, there's some great episodes and there's some absolutely terrible episodes. Then a great episode, then a terrible episode. I'm always like, <laughs> when I watch it, I'm like, what are we doing here? And then the other one, I'm like, this is phenomenal. We got to watch the next one right now. All I know is yeah, I just Billy Zopka, get that guy an Emmy. He is awesome. 
<laughs> or there's just him. I feel like that's just him. Yeah. And he's just acting like how he normally is. That guy is awesome. Get him an Emmy. Uh, I actually found a, um, an action figure, a Johnny action figure, like uh, from the very original Karate Kid in my parents' house, and they just moved right now. So uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Probably a collector's item now with all this Cobra Kai stuff. <laughs> uh, awesome. Nathan, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the, the Fantasy Docs Instagram page. How long have you been running that? It, it seems like it's very popular. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, I just started it up about a year and a half ago. And basically, it's Fantasy Docs on Instagram. And it's uh, it's basically just an analysis of injuries in terms of how they get diagnosed, how they get treated, and then a player's anticipated return back to the field. And it's it's highly relevant for anyone who plays fantasy football or who just has any kind of interest in general kind of football injuries. And in the offseason, I'm trying to do a little bit more basketball focus injury analysis, but that's that's pretty much what it's what it's uh, reserved to. Yeah, I took a look at um, some of your recent posts that is very thoughtful and insightful. It's well done. Um, it's not in your face. It's it's good information. And, and uh, uh, yeah, everybody should check it out. Our 10 listeners, please check it out. As well as our own Instagram page, which is what are we at, Drew? These pet, oh, what? These sports medicine orthopod. That's right. Yeah. All right, fellows. Well, any, any parting thoughts? I uh, know this was great, though. I really appreciate having me on. And hopefully, if you have any other, you know, non uh, non orth non operative issues that you guys will consider bringing me back. Oh, this is great, man. Even, even though I'm from Cincinnati, I'm actually I've grown up a Cleveland Browns fan, so this was a uh, a little bit of a tough week for me. And I thought oh. that we were going to take it home. Um, but you know what? If you can't get a stop um, in the fourth quarter on the last drive, you don't deserve to win. So I mean, I'm, I'm happy about the season. I mean, we've we shoot. I mean, just making the playoffs, having a playoff win. I mean, I gotta be happy about that. But looking forward to next year. Yeah, consider where you guys were a season ago, two seasons ago. This is this has been. Yeah, we thought Baker was a bust. Yeah. Now he's back. Yeah. I know, I know. We we're so close to the AFC Championship game. And hey, the Warriors beat the Lakers yesterday. And a game that LeBron team seemed totally disinterested in. <laughs> he's still he's still so upset about James Harden. I mean, he's still screaming he's thirty six. You know, <laughs> dude, that fat suit, whatever fat suit <laughs> Harden was wearing, <laughs> like, that's just insane. I know he, he went to like uh, he went to Cletus Clump's house. <laughs> he got the wardrobe from Nutty Professor. <laughs> Uncle Drew, he had Uncle Drew had him suit. That's right. That's right. All right, Drew, good to see you. Nathan, thanks a lot. We'll definitely have you on again. Uh, check us out on Instagram. Check out Fantasy Docs on Instagram. We're also at Twitter, at Sports Orthopods. What's your Twitter? My Twitter is at NatwaMD, N-A-T-W-A-M-D. SportsOrthopods at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Mom, Dad, catch you next time. Bye-bye.